You're listening to a podcast from leadculture.com. Hello and welcome to episode 40 of League Culture. And for the final time, we'll be taking a look at the wider and international game that is Rugby League. And we'd like to thank Everything Rugby League and League Freak for helping to share the show over the years. And I'd also like to give a personal thanks to Des and Declan Foy, who have had a chance to work with over the years on this show, which has been an absolute pleasure to work with both those guys and all the times we've had a chance to go to different countries and run up uh, different rugby league festivals and the Eurotag stuff we've done and all the other activities. It's been absolutely fantastic working with you guys. And we'll start with some scores, some important scores from the last month. And we've got in the USARL, Atlanta Rhinos becoming the USARL Grand Finalists, the champions, defeating New York Knights 32 points to 18. And the Griffin Cup over there in Western Europe was won by the Netherlands, defeating Germany 30 points to 18. So well done there to Kane, the coach at the Netherlands there. And in Jamaica, we saw a historic victory with them defeating Canada 28 points to 14. And we've got some good interviews. We're going to start the show with our first mini-interview. We've got Eden Clayton from We Are 13, who's going to be talking about some fantastic Vanuatu shirts that We Are 13 will be selling in the next few months. And then we'll move on to our main interview with Robert Bergen of Latin Heat, who'll be talking all about the Suda Americano, which is the Latin American Championships that's going to be taking place in November. And one thing I'll be asking for, if you can help donate a little bit of money towards that, that'd be good. Help Robert out. He's done a lot of hard work in in raising funds. And if you can give him a few quid or dollars here and there, I'm sure he'd be very appreciative of that. I'm going to end the show on a great interview that we got coming from Istanbul, from Gurul Yudis, who'll be talking all about what's going on in Turkey and the fantastic achievement that they've had of becoming Observer status members of the RLEF. And we're going to start the show now with Eden. Okay, so I've got Eden Clayton on the line now. And Eden, you, uh, you're still involved with We Are 13. We are XIII. And you've got a new range of shirts available. Yeah, so we've uh, we're working with the Vanuatu rugby league at the minute. Uh, we wanted to try something a bit different and help them promote the sport in the country. Uh, so they're taking on the Solomon Islands later this year, uh, which is now really an annual test for them. And they've got their own domestic league uh, up and running now. So we've got a range of the Vanuatu international jerseys currently available. Uh, so yeah, I think we're definitely the only people in the in the UK that are selling them at the minute. Uh, but we're trying to give them some exposure. Obviously, it helps us support them if we can buy shirts off them and promote the growth of the game in the country. I can imagine being one of the uh, Pacific Islands, they're quite a distinctive design. Yeah, they are. Um, I mean, it's it's black and gold and red and colourful with Polynesian artwork on there as well, so it's, it's definitely a bit different. Right. So if you were to get one of those, it'd probably be an early shop for Christmas, perhaps? 
<laughs> yeah, definitely. It'd be something a bit different as well. Um, what other shirts have you got? Have you got any shirts left over from any of the other nations? Yeah, so from our previous stock, we've still got uh, some Tongan shirts and one or two Samoan shirts left over. And we've still got some, uh, some items left and working with the Swedish rugby league and with the Spanish rugby league as well. It's a little bit of a range. Well, they sound certainly something that people should perhaps have a look at getting, especially you've got the Samoan and the Tongan shirts. That sounds just in time for the World Cup coming up. Yeah, yeah, and we've got them on sale as well, so we've got them at reduced price at the minute. That sounds good. And I can imagine the, the Spanish shirts and the Swedish shirts would look fairly uh, distinctive, a bit of a conversation piece, I can imagine. Yeah, they are. I have to admit, they're, they're definitely tight-fitting. Um, but the Spanish shirt, we bought this as the uh, Spanish rugby league were gearing up to be in a World Cup qualifier, so they progressed quite far. Uh, and we have a few of the Swedish club jerseys as well. Uh, Stefan so Ernie would come back and stock on. So, yeah, it's definitely something alternative. What sizes have you got for the Spanish shirts? Are you not sure? Off the top of my head, I'm not sure, but it's mainly medium and large. Yeah, they, uh, yeah I, like, I like the Vanna Water shirts, so I'm going to keep hold of one of them for myself. That's my favourite in there. And I know there's plenty of shirt collectors out there, and there's plenty of, sort of rare shirt collectors, so this must be. Uh, a few bargains there people can pick up. Right, okay, well, thank you very much. And what are you up to yourself now? Because I know you've come back from uh, from Africa. You've, you've been doing a spell in Africa. And uh, where do we find you these days? Uh, well, at the minute in Lancashire. Uh, I came back from Rwanda um, a couple of months ago. Uh, so I was working there as a researcher. And then also played uh, rugby union while I was out there. I uh, nearly ended up as the national team head coach at one point. Really? Yeah, uh, unfortunately, the federation president gave the job to his housemate. But I started being one of the youngest international coaches in the world, which would have been nice. <laughs> uh, but I started coach. I coached um, uh, one of the premiership teams. I say premiership, there's only one division, Garley Sharks. And we had only, uh, usually at any one, give one point in time, only two. Uh, Caucasian players in the country, so that definitely made it interesting, uh, particularly when we went out to play in the villages uh, and we found goats on the pitch and stuff like that. So it was definitely uh, a bit different to playing in England. That's brilliant. Uh, and then, yeah, I'm also going out to Toronto this weekend. You want to go and watch the Wolfpack game? I'm staying out there for a few weeks as well. So oh, have fun with that, and you'll have to let us know you get on with that. Yeah, I will. Right, Ethan Clayton, thank you very much. And that was a great little interview there with Eden Clayton. The next interview is now with Robert Bergen. Right, I'll get started. So I've got Robert Bergen on the other end of the line. We're uh, privileged to have Robert. Robert is a well, he's a, he's he's an, a journalist who likes to speak his mind, and he's uh, an innovator of the game, pushing forward the boundaries with such things as Latin Heat Rugby League and Latin Heat Rugby League and Latin American Rugby League is what Robert's going to talk to us about. Thanks for having me, Stuart. Very exciting news. We've got a exciting competition taking place in November. Yeah, so for the first time, uh, we've got a Latin American Championships in uh, 13 aside uh, Rugby League. Last year, we had a, a nine-a-side tournament that took place in Argentina 
um, that was contested by five teams, but only two of those, Chile and Argentina, were national teams, and the rest were uh, were provincial sides from within Argentina and a composite side that was made up of, of different Latino nations. But what um, what we've got happening in November of this year will be uh, the g- genuine national teams coming from um, Argentina, Chile, uh, plus Colombia and Mexico. We do um, we do have sort of fringe hopes that Peru and Brazil will, will take part, but I think more likely than not they'll be um, they'll be a part of a similar thing next year. They're probably not quite at that stage yet. So the exciting thing for anyone out there who's a rugby league expansionist is of the four teams that are set to compete on November 17-18, three of those will get an international ranking all at the, on the same weekend at the same time. Um, it'll be their first time that they've played a 13-a-side international, um, which is pretty amazing. And, and for Chile, who's the only team who has an established ranking, this will be the first time that their domestic quota earns ranking points for them and, and will do so with uh, a couple of couple of games in a couple of days, which is um, you know a real big boost for a country like that. And it's no easy task as well. There are a few challenges there. Oh, for sure. I mean, definitely... Um, well, we've just had a big challenge came in um, two days ago, and that was that the Chilean general election is going to be on the 19th of November, which is um, what we'd, um, we'd planned to have the final on that day being the Sunday. So the rule in Chile is actually that you can't have any sort of sporting event or congregate in a group on an election day. And in fact, on the Saturday, where we've had to now move the final by bringing all the days forward by one day, We've been told basically that we can't have more than a thousand people in one place a day before an election. So we're not quite sure what to expect crowd-wise over there, but um, there's a chance we'll actually have to turn people away at the gate so we can still stage the games there, which um, you know is a curveball we didn't see coming from anywhere, and it's not something that would be an issue if it were held here in Australia. So some of these um, these matters are all about learning the local culture and, and, and what flies over in different parts of the world uh, and obviously you know Mexico, Colombia, Argentina, Chile all very diverse countries very um, you know far apart Mexico down to um, the south of Chile is you know it's quite a distance it's just probably like say from Europe down to South Africa you know there's significant distances to be tra- travelled there's a time that these guys have to get off from work and a lot of them come from you know subsistence or or lowly paid um, situations at home, so for them to take time away from their families and and go down to do this is a big undertaking. So you know we've committed to help all the visiting teams with their um, their flights, and uh, basically you know the whole the whole thing will probably cost about thirty thousand dollars, and Latin Heat intends on putting at least twenty thousand towards that. We've we've already put over ten, and now we're raising the remainder um, through crowdfunding. And obviously some of the players over there and, and their local sponsors will chip in to, to bring us to the full amount. But it would be great if, if people are, um, we're on chuffed.org and we've got a crowdfunding page going there. So if um, people want to help three nations get their world ranking for the first time and for us to have our first ever championship in Latin America, it would be, be great if you could hop on there and give us a bit of support. Well, you've literally been doing the legwork for this as well, haven't you? Because we've, we've seen you on Facebook and... You set yourself a challenge the other week. Oh, yeah. Oh, mate, I think I was just um, 
just running out of options there to, to get people motivated and interested in what we're doing. So yeah, I just said to if for every dollar that people donate, um, I'd do a hundred kilo deadlift, um, which is pretty interesting because I played my last game for the season last week and my back and hamstrings were absolutely killing me as a result. Yeah, I think you undersold yourself a bit there. When I was uh, looking at the exchange rate from uh, pounds to to Australian dollars and the the amount that you could potentially do that week, it seemed a little bit insane on your side. <laughs> Possibly people would say insanity is what led me to this place in the, in the first place. So. Well, that's, that's great. I mean, it, 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 one thing I think people will realise when it comes to Latin American rugby league is there's a great colour, there's a great personality about the game over there. Each, like you say, each of the countries has got its own unique culture and its own different set of people. It's a very interesting part of the world to watch rugby league growing. Yeah, and I think um, you know Chile really has to be commended out of this, and, and Guillermo Artiaga and uh, Ronaldo, who sort of drive the game forward. There, you know, we we've probably been a bit tough with them and, and help you know, get, seeking their assistance and, and helping them to put together such a significant tournament when they're only really in their first season of staging a domestic competition as well. Um, but we, we did think that they really deserve to be the hosts with all the advances they've made. And it, I've, you know, I've gathered a new sense of respect for those guys and how hard they're prepared to work and what they put in. Um, you know, just to give people who don't know the, the background to Chile a bit of uh, knowledge, Guillermo actually built a makeshift factory in his front room, um, kicked everything out of his front room so he could make rugby league balls because he couldn't get his hands on any. So he's not only running the competition and financing and organising it, but he's making the footballs, uh, which is pretty amazing. And he um, he lost his job recently and he, uh, he had to get replacement employment in Antofagasta, which is about 2,000 kilometres from where he lives. So he's been organising rugby league, flying out and then flying back home. And um, he, while he was over in Antofagasta starting his new job, he's actually started up a new rugby league organisation there. So the guy's um, relentless, really, and, and it's given me huge sense of respect for him. I find it hugely inspirational. I mean, I, I'm not going to talk about the local club that I'm involved with, but certainly when you... Um, you do endeavours yourself, and I know you're involved with with clubs in your own area. You often hear, even at the professional level, people talk about not having enough resources and struggling to get things done. And then you go and see the, the stuff these guys do, and you think, well, no, this is not really an excuse for not doing anything. Yeah, and I guess you see some of the money hungry things that do happen at the top level in NRL, which you know there might be similar cases in. in Super League, but I suppose not to the, the same extent because of you know the, the different salaries blokes could command over here. And then you have you know people that are run into a grassroots level each week that if they could just have enough money to cover their expenses and some meagre expenses at that would probably contribute a lot more in the bigger sense of the game. You know, I've got a lady who who mails out all of our purchases from our online store for Latin Heat, and she refuses to to take any money for the postage she spends. So uh, I think little sacrifices like that where someone's you know, probably giving away 20 to $30 a week out of their own money and then the time that goes with it, 
they're the people that the game's really built upon. And uh, from a young age, I, I used to have, you know, posters of players on my wall, but I've said probably for close to 20 years now that my, my heroes are really the people out there that will keep a, a competition going on the smell of an oily rag for, you know, seasons and seasons upon end. Those people are the real heroes of rugby league. Yes, I mean, if you take somewhere like Mexico, I don't know about the other countries, but even somewhere like like Mexico, the just the simple things like trying to find a, a surface to practice on, it's, it's it's a very difficult task. This is a, yeah, it's a big problem across uh, Latin America, and you know, there's there's so many things here that you don't realise as an outsider looking in. When I went to Brazil, people. You know, just to get even a rugby union ball, let alone a rugby league ball, is incredibly hard. Um, if you do get a hold of, you know, an oblong-shaped ball, it's most likely going to be an NFL ball, um, and people won't know how to pass it. They'll throw it overhead like a baseball pitch. Um, that's the level that you're dealing with. It's your basis. And, um, of course, it's stern opposition to rugby league in many of these countries from rugby union, and we've already seen incidences in... Um, especially Mexico, also a little bit in Argentina of, of players being told they'll be banned for numerous years if they, they try. So um, actually getting a field to play on that has rugby, you know, some sort of rugby posts is uh, difficult. And, and Argentina uses soccer fields and then erects, you know, extension poles on top of the, the soccer posts to um, to play their games. Uh, and that's, you know, that, that's the level that you're dealing with. So... We've um, just benefited in uh, Chile from a police officer who's donated a big block of land to form the first dedicated rugby league field in South America, which uh, is, is a huge, uh, you know, huge step forward for the game. And I hope he's recognised in due course. Yeah, I mean, you, you you spoke about Chile. I mean, you you almost feel like these people should be kind of motivational speakers for the game. I mean, they've just started, or they're just about to start their first domestic competition over there yeah exactly so uh, I think they're running with six teams for this first year uh, even though my knowledge is there's up to 13 um, senior clubs but they felt those six were the best position to um, to compete against each other and uh, especially in the, in the southern area where they're mainly concentrated out around Los Angeles uh, and that's Los Angeles Chile for anyone that might get slightly confused uh, around that area the towns are only sort of, you know, between 10 and 50 minutes apart in a, in a sort of circle. So um, they've got a, a nice geographical area to, to concentrate on that doesn't demand a lot of people in terms of playing distance or time. And I guess that's the, the, the first start point, isn't it, really? I mean, like you've said, resources are, are few and far between, so you can't be too ambitious in, in your, your early years. Yeah, um, over in Argentina, the, you know, they hit a bit of a roadblock two years ago because they're mainly based about four hours, four to five hours south of where Buenos Aires is, and uh, they found it limiting. They could only get to a few seaside towns in that area, and then you know, no one else to play against as opposition. So uh, Chile's got that benefit of being in a tightly packed area. Um, you know, Mexico also has the same, but then between the t there's two competitions that run over there and. They're about five hours apart, um, so if they want to have games that are, you know, outside their local league, they have to travel quite a bit as well, um, which is, is something as Australian country clubs will appreciate. Um, but 
I'm not sure, you know, elsewhere in the world, people would travel such distances unless it was, uh, you know, say that like the USARL final that's coming up, which will be uh, a clash between the north and the south. Yes, and often, often these distances, the the way they're travelled is they're uh, they're quite challenging themselves because they're not always on the best roads, and it's an overnight bus and. Literally, people are jumping from finishing one work shift and going straight back into work on the on the next shift after after they finish the game. It's quite extraordinary what these people are prepared to do. Yeah, last year when Chile travelled over to uh, Miramar in Argentina, they had twenty hours on the bus each way, so forty hours altogether. And uh, when they got to the Chilean border, it was it was closed. The um, the border security were having some sort of strike, so they they just sat there in the middle of a twenty-hour bus trip and wait for I think it was eight or nine extra hours on top. Uh, so these are the kind of interesting challenges you face in different parts of the world. Yeah, I mean it's it's very as I say it's, it's very exciting stuff, and we all need to I suppose make sure we get onto uh, chuff.org or the Latin Heat Rugby League Facebook page, or or check out leagueculture.com and. And give these guys a, a lift, really, if we can. Yeah, and you know, personally, I'd like to thank you, Stuart, for you know you chipped in out of your own pocket, which is fantastic. And and the way that you run this podcast puts a lot of uh, the spotlight on on teams that need it uh, and things that are going on around around the world. Well, I always say, really, I mean, I think, and I'm sure Australia's no different. It's quite an expensive world we live in now, and. And to be honest, the, the amount of money that we donate, we probably wouldn't notice that much in our shopping bill, to be honest. At five or ten dollars here or there, it's on a day to day basis, it's it's really nothing to us. But to these people it can make a difference, can't it, to you know, to the, to them becoming involved in the game. Definitely, uh, you know, the the average wage in a lot of these countries is about five thousand uh US dollars a year. Um you know, which is, is something, but it's not fantastic. And I know, you know, personally, my, my brother-in-law, so my wife's family's from Brazil, but he works on a, a cassava farm, you know, digging up, um, you know, digging up root plants all day and works in a, ba- a bakery as his second job. So he'll wake up, make all the bread at, say, 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, work until, say, 6 or 7 a.m., then he goes and works on the farm all day, then gets to 8 o'clock, and goes and works back in the bakery again until about 10. And then, you know, quite often for that, he can see the equivalent of, you know, about $60 a week. And out of that, he's got to pay for his his kids and um, his rent and all, all that sort of thing. So, it, you know, I can really relate to how these people find it tough to afford boots or to afford their own travel. Um, you know, it's part, of the, it's part of the big challenge of growing the sport over there, but genuinely believe there's huge potential that we haven't tapped into no i i i think it's i mean i i briefly played with the idea of spreading rugby league when when i was in africa i think it was last year i spent some time in nigeria and you can see what a struggle it is to get anything started in terms of sport in these places but just the sheer reaction you get from people from doing from doing anything really because people just love that anything new that comes along anything that's not soccer anything that's different it's it's there's enormous challenges to do these things but you sort of see how things could explode if if they would explode if you know what i mean 
Yeah, and I think if we find a way to do it um, that's that's economical, the potential is is fantastic because what Rugby Union has done over there is, is really align itself with the extreme, extreme sort of high class. Um, and for all the working class people that we tend to deal a lot with, they, they don't really relate to that and, and they don't have the disposable income that these people do. So that's why they haven't tried a, a rugby code before because they felt that they didn't belong there um, and they felt like they couldn't afford to, you know, take up the game. But if, if we start taking care of their boots and, and um, a little bit of their travel, then it just comes down to their effort. And you can see how much they love the game when they give it a go. Um, yeah, the, I mean, pe- probably people People form different opinions of rugby union in um, Australia and in England of being, you know, belonging to private schools, etc. But over in South America, it is a very extreme form of that. And, you know, there's still instances of, of people in positions of privilege paying so that certain people will make their way into rep teams um, in that sport. So uh, people are starting to look at rugby league as, as an equitable um, environment where people are all going to be treated the same and um, we, we're not really elitist about who we want to come down and, and play with us. No, and, and I think that was the original values that, that we held dear in the sport. I mean, a lot of people back in the sort of the 1970s, there was a magazine called Open Rugby and and one of the the concepts, if you like, one of, one of the watchwords in, in Open Rugby was the fact that the sport was not just open in terms of play, but open in terms of how anyone could play the sport. You know, it, it went against things like racial prejudice and apartheid and things like that. And that's the sort of thing I, I want us really to get back to in the sport. Yeah, 100%. Um, I, you know, it's just been my mindset from the way I was raised. That's how I believe, you know, everything should be. So uh, I hope we can get to that situation. In saying that, we don't kind of go around to these countries and say, "Look, we're we're going to be the opposition to rugby union." We just we recognise that the population in Latin America is huge, and basically we're saying to people, "This is another avenue through which you can represent your country." And perhaps you know, if you, if you're a guy that's got some anger that you need to deal with, or you want to test yourself physically, we're we're simply another angle um, you can maybe better your life or better your mindset through. Uh, we're not trying to steal players from Rugby Union. We think there's plenty to go around over there that haven't been tapped into. Now, this is really, it's, it's the first kind of major international tournament of its kind, well, really outside the World Cup that has been for a while, I suppose. How important is having uh, an international focus point to develop Rugby League in these nations? Yeah, uh, there's... I know a lot of people have a debate about this um, top-down development versus you know bottom-up development when it comes to establishing new nations. I firmly in the corner that I believe top-down does work, and for, for any country where there's say less than 20% of kids don't play rugby league at school or have a firm knowledge of it through TV, I think you need to have a national incentive to. Um, to make it in their interest and a chance to, to go somewhere or to play against different teams and say, oh, look, I you know, I got to represent Colombia, I got to represent Mexico. So for us, um, having this tournament is as much about encouraging the domestic leagues and getting more people looking up there and, 
um, finding huge numbers of people who aspire to represent their country. So therefore, we can create larger domestic leagues. Um, yeah, for, for us, it's that part first, is, is trying to boost those numbers at the ground level. But also, if we can, at the same time that the Rugby League World Cup's going on, if we can uh, say, look, we're growing in this part of the world, and these countries have, you know, they're verifiably getting together 20 players who are going to compete in this tournament, then they're at a stage where we should be considering them in the, uh, you know, our strategy forward uh, for the next four years and, and those countries deserve to have a place in qualifiers and deserve to be considered if we're going to, you know, spread the budgetary allocations around after the World Cup. So um, one thing we're, we're looking at doing too is uh, is having little clubhouses where we visit um, during the, our period in South America to uh, to watch Rugby League World Cup. So we'll hook it up onto, um, you know, hook it up onto a big screen and and get everyone down there and enjoying the game. So um, although there is a, a tournament happening over two days, there's actually two to three weeks of, of development work around this where we're going to be visiting um, you know, small towns or visiting schools and uh, trying to start the game up and then taking people back and getting them to watch Rugby League World Cup games uh, live from the other side of the world. So, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of a, a big event within a big event. Yeah, and one of the things I think you've spoke about in the past is, is is a new market. It's a new market out there. It's a new place to sell NRL to if if we can get people in these countries interested. I mean, both in in the UK and both in Australia, both bodies seem to be leaking cash at the moment in in various ways. And any new market's got to be a good thing for the sport. That's it. I mean, obviously, I've discussed there are economical issues in this country, so it's not a, a huge gold mine in terms of per person income. But if you look at the overall size of those economies, um, purely for scale of numbers, you know, there's there's 600 million people living in Latin America. Add another 100 million Latin Americans who live elsewhere now. So you know, so there's there's about 50, 54 million, I think, live in the USA alone. Um, so if we can influence that population, there's, you know, significant, um, you know, pure pure mass numbers that will follow the sport, but there's also, you know, the company connections through there that uh, will also be um, influenced. I believe that the Brazilian economy is now the third or fourth biggest in the world. So um, people might be thinking of Latin America as small fry, but there's actually uh, some substantial gains that be, could be had out of there. Well, even in the poorest countries in the world, there are, there are always very rich individuals and very rich companies. So, any new market is always a business opportunity. That's it. Yeah, you never know until you try. Um, in all all senses of that sort of phrase. And where do we see Latin Heat going to next? What's what's on the board for Latin Heat? What's coming up? Okay, so. Um... I mean, this is our big one. The, obviously, the Latin American Championships, seventeenth uh, to eighteenth of November. Um, but before that, we've got a series of games being played in Liverpool and Western Sydney with our um, Australian uh, diaspora, and that will have games. So Chile is going to be playing uh, Thailand, and they're at the moment they're the South American and the Southeast Asian teams with the biggest domestic comps. So I believe Thailand's got eight clubs over in their competition. 
so that's a nice matchup between those two sides. And on the same day, we'll have um, Uruguay will be playing El Salvador. Uh, and they're both, at the moment, they're both in the bottom five ranked international federation nations. But we know, you know, having that Latino rivalry and, and being of a similar standing, they're both looking forward to this as a, a chance to rack up a rare win and progress where they want to be. Uh, we actually organised this whole event thinking the games that are going to be on will be um, will be pretty tight affairs as you can't really pick the outcome from the um, simply reading the teams on paper. Prior to that, we'll also have the ASEAN team, which is a combined uh, Southeast Asian nations against our Latin Heat development team. So that'll be all the players who aren't already representing that day against um, for either Chile, Uruguay or El Salvador will we'll pull on the Latin Heat colours and play ASEAN. Um, post that, out of those day's events, we're going to pick a Latin Heat elite squad, which will fa- face Africa United at uh, Cabramatta on October 14, and that will be before the Malta, I think it's Malta Philippines is playing that day, I'm just, uh, just racking my brain, sorry, we've had so, so much going on, I'm trying to remember what the main game is, but it has been organised by Malta and will be the main curtain raiser to that. I don't think Malta's played in a while as well, have they, so that's, that's going to be interesting. Well, I think they had a really good win earlier in the year um, against the Philippines, so... Um, they're kind of in renewed spirits to, to go forward and um, take on a few different countries. So, yeah, I know um, David from, from Maltese Rugby League has, has been fairly active lately and he's always someone who um, who likes to take the game forward. So I look forward to the whole day. It'll certainly be interesting to follow and it'll certainly be, sounds like a great competition to, uh, to be had. Yeah, and... Um, the more we can have of these, you know, so-called minnow nations playing each other before the Rugby League World Cup, it starts to build that appetite as well and a bit of evidence of how far the, the game spread. Yeah, I was, I was going to say on a, on a final comment, really, do you feel you're kind of changing the, the mindset, the culture by, by doing this? Uh, do, you th- do you think it helps people take a more international, international view on the game? Yeah, and I think it makes people feel as though they're not left out either. Um, all these different communities that are playing in the, um, the development games in, in the months preceding the World Cup, if, if we came to November and, and um, we kicked off the Rugby League World Cup proper and they weren't somehow involved, they might be feeling as though, oh, this isn't a sport for me or my brothers or my cousins. Um, and we're sort of you know, dismissing that from the outset by showing how many different communities are out there that have formed rugby league sides so it's a it's an all-inclusive atmosphere that i think's been created uh around the game that wasn't there before that's that's good that's interesting i've never thought of it like that as a as a way of bringing people into the sport from the commercial side but it that that does make sense for tournaments like the world cup that are taking place mm, definitely right robert bergen thank you very much for your time and uh, Good luck with your uh, your squats and uh, the competition in November. <laughs> Excellent, mate. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Cheers, thanks. Fantastic as always to hear from Robert. And we're going to end the show on our final interview, well, of all time, with Gural Yiddis. We're now talking to Gural Yiddis, who is going to... We're talking to Gural 
Yildiz, who is going to talk us through all the latest developments in Turkish Rugby League, which there have been many. Yeah, how's it going? Hello. It's good. It's good. You've recently been awarded observer status. Yes, yes, uh, cor- uh, correct. Uh, been a lot of hard work on that because um, actually in a short period of time we did a, a lot of a uh, lot of things in Turkey. Uh, we basically just started our league in um, late 2016 with the boys of five teams in Turkey had a championship, uh, 11 games, and Kadiko became the uh, the champs uh, against Eskisteir in the grand final, and then. Um, and we put we put a lot of work in, filled all the um, uh, ticked all the boxes uh, concerning the uh, rugby league uh, Europe qualify as a observer status. With a huge amount of help from uh, Julian and the board members, Ali Jan, president, Jan, our financial guy. Uh, so we did a lot of huge work in a short period of time. Yeah, it was great. Julian seems quite a character. We saw recently he did, uh, or he, he starred in a, a like a video that you'd had done with the the Bulls for for uh, for Vimo, which was quite good. Yeah, uh, we we did an interview with a sports TV, um, and uh, and I was holding the uh, Steed and Ball. Is that the, is that the one you're talking about? No, actually, it was the like the little sort of mini movie that he that he made about the. About the Bulls' journey into the Balkan Super League. Oh yes, yes, yes. Uh, that was a, um, a um, one of our players. Um, he studies uh, photography um, at a university and did a uh, the journey of Kadıköy uh, uh, Bulls. That was actually prior uh, prior to my uh, involvement in uh, rugby league uh, Turkey because I only just got involved in rugby league Turkey uh, since December of 2016. So this was all uh, pre-made, uh, or actually been in the process prior to my knowledge. So yeah, when I saw that, it was fantastic. For an organisation with what I guess is limited resources, it was quite impressive. It was, it was. As one of the um, uh, students uh, of Kadiko Bulls did that, it was a great uh, little uh, documentary of the uh, Kadiko Bulls uh, team, how they processed, how they trained and, uh, for the um, uh, Balkan Super Cup and the league and, and with minimum resources, yeah. So you spoke about yourself now becoming part of the Turkish Rugby League. What brought you into to the sport? Okay, um, my, my background is um, I lived in Australia for uh, 26 years, 27 years. And so basically... I've been working out of Europe in uh, based in Turkey, and one of my cousins um, sent a message over saying that, "Hey, uh, rugby league t- uh, Turkey has just started. Uh, just you know, heads up, get involved in it." And I was basically head over heels. I just uh, got in contact with, with Julia and said, "I want to be, I want to be involved. I want to help out." So I went to a, a game, um, and then um, one of the uh, teams uh, was um, uh, needing a coach. Or a, uh, a mentor, because I used to play rugby league in Australia for Canterbury Bankstown and also Enfield Fields. So really, um, that's that, that, that's the start of my journey. And so I started coaching um, Bilgi University uh, in Turkey, uh, and it was a pretty successful season for Bilgi. Also, that we finished third in the league, but um, 
uh, just young kids, 18, 19 year old. It's some of half of the team. It's the first year of playing rugby league uh, because their background is union. And um, so, yeah, it was great. With your uh, your playing background, I can imagine that the guys in Turkey were, were a bit shocked, really, when you told them that you played at that level. Well, yeah, I'm actually, to be honest, uh, uh, I'll be one of the only person really full-bred uh, and grown up with rugby league uh, in Turkey because uh, the uh, majority of the people were all involved in um, uh, rugby union or just basically with the background of wrestling. Uh, they're now playing uh, league or union. So... Yeah, one of a couple of now the guys really understanding who who's Canberra Bankstown is, who's uh, all these NRL teams uh, throughout uh, throughout uh, Australia, and they're all excited because uh, the, the the knowledge I have or the experience I have, uh, they basically it's feeding off on the team now, which is great, and I'm helping up with the uh, Calico guys for the uh, Balkan Super Cup. Yeah, it's worked out really well. Do you find yourself you're a self you that you're in a unique position because obviously. Your own identity obviously spans two cultures, if you like, and it can be difficult to uh, bring people into rugby league if they're not familiar with rugby league, and, and and vice versa. Do you find that's a big benefit? Yeah, it's um, actually it's an open market uh, in Turkey because the Turks do love um, physical contact, uh, uh, and they'll do love uh, soccer or uh, the round ball. And um, it's it's an open market, and these guys, you know, when I show the um, um, a game on 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 a TV screen or a, on on my iPhone, and they just get amazed, and they, they all want to get involved. But on the other side, it's also difficult because we don't have any resources. We don't have the fields. We don't have the balls. We don't have the gear. And so it's like it's basically um, you know we're pioneers. You know, in, in a country where uh, you're overwhelmed with soccer, <laughs> the the challenge of starting a league has has not been a small one because you've had to register all your teams at once. Yeah, um, uh, what I understood was the, the uh, we had uh, the, uh, well actually how we started the league in 2016 was we did a um, a beach tournament, um, uh, first international beach rugby league tournament. And we invited a lot of our teams. So we have 15 teams come. And through there, the excitement of uh, league and the uh, of rugby league comparing it to union, they saw the difference there. And the, the, the teams were excited uh, to come and join the, uh, our league. And that's how we that's how we started. But we, for us to find a team, we had to basically um, uh, mix and jack. Juggle between union uh, uh, games and league games, and people don't understand that at the moment. So it's difficult at the moment trying to find a team, uh, players, uh, and, uh, and it's developing slowly. But you've obviously done very well, though. It, despite all the challenges in, in front of you, you've managed to bring four or five teams into the league, which you initially had to have to start the league. That's right. Um, we weren't really sure what's going to happen. Uh, as I said, the, the beach uh, uh, international rugby league beach tournament basically was a stepping stone for our league to start. Thus, we had to show uh, the difference between rugby union and rugby league, and um, and also there was a few um, 
um, uh, negative uh, things happening with union in, in, in Turkey, where there was an opening that we took the opportunity and played, we started our league. I mean, that's obviously something you've got to be very careful of because set, setting up a, a new sport in any country, you've got obviously have good relationships with the authorities and and obviously I guess this is where, this is where people like yourself come in who, who understand the local conditions that you um, there, there are certain things that you have to do right absolutely absolutely yeah you, you've got to basically be careful uh, because of the, um, the nobody knows rugby league here in Turkey especially in people in authorities and uh, so like we, we don't have our uh, a ground we every time we when we want to play a game or even have a training we have to have a permission through the uh, local uh, council local government to uh, to get approved then we can uh, go and train and uh, go and play a game so um, we need to explain our situation every time we do this because uh, management always change, <laughs> so that's yeah. It's it's difficult at times to um, uh, get the things that are happening into here in Turkey because it's everything's everything's new. You've you've done very well at setting up. How are, how are you finding the Balkan Super League? I am actually very excited. You know, I uh, unfortunately we got walloped our first game. <laughs> against Drockel, uh it was a 60-zip uh, uh, scoreline, uh, but the thing was, it was a huge learning curve for us, uh, because of uh, Kadikou is a very strong team in Turkey, and uh, they have been the champs for many years in the, in the uh, Union's uh, league, uh, league. Uh, and as they converted into uh, uh, rugby league, um, as, uh, as they became the champs of the Turkish League, when we played the first game of the Super League, uh, the Super League against Drogba, we basically learned that there's a, a, there is a style, there is a, a system here that we need to learn. It was a real wake-up call. And with that um, result, um, I basically stepped in uh, uh, more to teach these guys how to play rugby league a little bit, uh, 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 rugby league. Uh, uh, teaching the techniques, te- teaching the tackling, teaching the passing, teaching the setups, uh, patterns, and so on. So against uh, our second game against um, Lokomotiv uh, Sofia, the Bulgarian team, it was a total uh, different story. Uh, it was an excellent transaction between uh, way of thinking of of what, what we they're used to. Now they start thinking rugby league. We do a lot of TV. Um, 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 video sessions, and um, you know, it showed on the score. You know, we scored 50 points over 50 points. Um, we kept uh, the locomotive team uh, at 10 points, so 54 10, I think it was the scoreline. So, and we're all excited for the uh, our third um, uh, game against uh, Red Star, uh, Belgrade, uh, upcoming um, month, I believe, uh, 23rd of uh, September. So the, the concept of the Balkan Super Cup, I think, is a fantastic concept. Uh, to be honest, the fact that the 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 Bulls are champions in in rugby union is that a big help? Absolutely, absolutely. Because they're the champions, and uh, there were previous years there were champions of, in the union. Um, the the quality of the players uh, the Kadikou Bulls have right now are one of the, uh, the the top players in Turkey. 
And so, but the whole team has now trans, uh, transformed themselves into rugby league players uh, also, which is fantastic. They adapted really well. And I'm really proud of the boys. Because I, I guess they have that drive and that winning mentality. Absolutely, absolutely. And they don't want to lose at all. <laughs> even, a, even a little touch game they play with each other, uh, they're, they're basically, you know, uh, they give the uh, hammer and tongs. They, they 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 get stuck into each other. Uh, we we just as you know you may have heard of it. We we did our beach uh, tournament, beach rugby league tournament, our second one. Again, uh, the Kadukur Bulls were the champs. Uh, they were champs of last year, but they were champs of this year also. And the game was only one nil, uh, one try to, uh, and it was a real tight game. And the, the Kadukur Bulls uh, turned up again. So. You're right. The team, the team is very, very strong, well, uh, strong-minded. And they're also they're not an unknown team, are they? Because I mean, it, they they appear on things like TV adverts in Turkey. Yes, 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 yes. Um, uh, the Turkish Airlines is sponsored has sponsored the Union um, European Union uh, uh, League, Champions League. So um, the Turk, uh, Turkish Airlines uh, did a little commercial uh, and ad, uh, and so the, the the team, the players in that ad were uh, were based from the Kalikoba Bulls team. And you've done very well with TV exposure. Your your beach tournament managed to make it on quite a few different TV channels. Yeah, that, that was uh, that was huge. Um, that was. Very pleasantly surprising uh, the interest level uh, because uh, you may have seen it too yourself. Um, there was um, we had six girl teams. Uh, one of the girl teams were from uh, Lebanon, so um, the Lebanese girls were fantastic. They actually won the championship, and so we had um, a our national TV uh, called uh, Canal D, Canal D. Um, they did a, a three-minute um, prime time uh, uh, interview. Um, uh, they showed uh, they showed on the prime time TV, so, which on on news, which was fantastic. And the other TV uh, channel was a pay TV uh, sports. Uh, it's called Sports TV Ladies uh, Life of Ladies. So it's more of a ladies uh, program, but it's a mixture. Uh, and so that was like we were on um, we went we went on studio and also that did a coverage of the uh, whole game 40, 40 minutes actually uh, was on air for forty minutes which is fantastic great uh, exposure for rugby league itself and the, the the position of Turkey as a nation must present lots of opportunities to spread the game into other countries yeah definitely definitely um, we. we we are actually at a focal point. You know, we we want to actually build the rugby here in Turkey so much that it's gonna it's gonna couple it with um, the the Romanians, most probably the Bulgarians. We got we've got a very good relationship with the Bulgarians. They uh, we've got the we're common border, so the Bulgarians and I, will, the Turks will develop the Lebanese and the Turks will develop each other most probably because we've got a good, good relationship there too. And uh, well, the Ukrainians and the Russians also a lot of interest uh, uh, between those two countries in Turkey. Um, so it's going to be like a, a, as as Turkish rugby league grows, it's going to it's going to help grow 
majority of Europe also, uh, the Balkan countries also. It probably, I would think, would aid the Middle East because the Middle East has kind of had uh, little uh, bits of rugby league, but but it's struggled from being a little bit disconnected. It is. It's, it's going to be. It's going to connect uh, uh, Middle East uh, to uh, to Europe via Turkey. Yes, definitely. Well, it's all very exciting stuff. Is is there any other announcements that we can expect, or or is it just business as usual at the moment? Concentrating on uh, completing our Super Cup, uh, Balkan Super Cup, um, and then obviously we're going to um, uh, attend uh, the Balkan Nations Cup, uh, which is going to be held on the sixth, seventh, eighth of uh, October. Uh, and uh, uh, straight after that, we will, be, or actually the same period of time, we're, we're going to uh, launch our second year, uh, second season. So uh, hopefully uh, we're going to have more teams uh, joining. And um, uh, whatever is necessary to uh, develop a rugby league in Turkey, we are basically uh, putting, uh, rolling our sleeves up and we're going to do it. That's probably Considering this is your, your first season, that's quite, that's, a, right. that's quite an impressive list of events. It is, it is, yes, it is. Um, the, uh, this, the season was very successful. Um, uh, and we did uh, the Balkan Cup games. Uh, and we also um, we did uh, the beach rugby league uh, tournament, the second uh, beach international rugby league tournament. What was a fantastic success. We had, uh, that went from 15 teams to 22 teams, and a lot of lot of exposure, a lot of sponsorship, a lot of um, excitement with, um, uh, locally. And um, this is all in such a short, short little period of time. And now we're going to work on universities uh, as as we need to now build up a uh, player base and then uh, obviously our club, uh, 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 clubs. And that's basically we need, now we need to go down the grassroots of rugby league, which basically um, introduce players uh, through high school, universities. Hopefully uh, we can go down to at least 15, 12-year-old uh, uh, kids playing rugby league in Turkey within a couple of years. Is it a realistic option to get it into the high schools? I mean, I can imagine that's quite a difficult thing to do. Oh, yes, it is. But we've already got the ball rolling. We've been talking to a couple of professors at universities and I've been um, talking to them and said uh, we need to uh, develop the rugby league and they're all basically excited. Um, they invited us. Hopefully, uh, coming up um, a few a few months, we'll uh, go to some seminars and do presentation games or show you know, um, you know trial games at the uh, university, and possibly we might do a nice tournament. Uh, that would be um, that be nice, nice also. Oh, that'd be it'd be amazing. I mean, I know in in Lebanon that they're, they're very keen on the university thing. So immediately you see possibilities springing up already there. Oh yeah. Between university games, basically, uh, I believe um, as the president from um, uh, Lebanon, the uh, uh, Lebanese Rugby Federation, uh, Raymond, um, I believe he uh, and with us uh, might be building a nice little relationship up, and so we'll make get, get some games going uh, between clubs or university games uh, between each other. That'd be that'd be fantastic. And the good thing with universities is it's a good way to get. 
people who go on to do important jobs involved in the game? Absolutely. When they got the, um, uh, as they know rugby league, and they as they grow, as they move on in life, and they're, they're uh, as they get into, um, let's say, government positions as a job, and if they got background of rugby union, rugby league, uh, that's uh, obviously it's going to help uh, our courses a lot. <laughs> so um, uh, definitely, when we get people involved in rugby league throughout the universities, uh, it's going to it's going to help us a lot. Okay, so this is the end of the last show for League Culture. There'll be no more. And I'd like to say it was an absolute pleasure getting the chance to work with Des Foy and Declan Foy on the show over the years. And I really enjoyed things that we got to do, like putting on rugby league festivals and trying to get involved with projects to help grow the numbers in the game and travelling abroad and even going down to Parliament and getting a chance to argue the case for rugby league with the BBC it was all good experiences however what I will say the reason I'm not doing this anymore is the whole point of this show was that it was going to be a positive show and when there are more negatives than positives when you're doing something that's the time to call it a day and in the past rugby league was always under threat from rugby union now I don't think that's the case anymore I think the biggest problem the game faces at the moment the biggest danger to rugby league is not rugby union it's rugby league itself and if we don't stop all the internal conflict and create some kind of vision going forward for the game and stop making decisions based on the self-interests of administrators, we won't have a game. 